we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Let's take our Bibles and go with me this morning, if you would, to the book of Ephesians chapter number 3. Ephesians chapter number 3. We'll begin reading in verse number 14 of the book of Ephesians chapter number 3. And verse number 14, as we come to this New Testament passage, of course, the Apostle Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and enumerating for the church at Ephesus all of the spiritual blessings that were those, or were theirs, rather, in Christ. And, of course, not only were theirs, but are ours today. As we come to chapter 3 and verse 14, we notice a prayer that Paul prays for this church. And there's a certain expression that I want to call your attention to in these verses this morning. But let's read them beginning in verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. I'd like for you to look with me in verse number 15 and note this phrase that we read. He says, Of whom, speaking of Christ, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I want to speak to you on the subject of the whole family in heaven and earth. The whole family. Oftentimes on special holidays or special occasions, birthdays, our family will gather. In fact, we gather quite regularly but we'll gather together, and we may have a picture made. For example, on Resurrection Sunday, we had our picture made. We'll do that once or twice a year. We'll get the whole family together. On birthdays, we'll gather together and and uh, celebrate the birth of one of our family members. And oftentimes, my wife will say to me, it's not the same unless the whole family is here. And as your kids grow older and they marry, and some have moved away, and some in school, there are transitions of life, it may be difficult for the whole family to get together. Well, I want you to know that God has a family. 
And God wants everybody in the family to be in fellowship with him and in fellowship one with another. God is a father. And as a father, he has a family. Now, God has always had a people. And he's always had a place for those people. And he's always had a plan for them. When I served in Knoxville with Pastor Sexton, he often would say this, everyone needs three homes, a heavenly home, a Christian home, and a church home. You need a heavenly home because when this life is over, you're just stepping into eternity. You're going to be in one of two destinations, either heaven or hell. Jesus Christ came to purchase your access into heaven, to give you salvation, to provide for you a heavenly home. And he said in John 14, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So everybody should have a heavenly home. As we dwell upon this earth, we need a Christian home. Children need parents who love God, who will teach the truths of God's Word, who will bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And everybody also needs a church home. I'm grateful to be a part of this church home, this church family. What a blessing. And I'm grateful for special days that we can celebrate like today as we celebrate our 82nd anniversary. And I think about the whole family. And throughout the 82 years of our existence, it's really virtually impossible to get the whole family together. Some are in heaven. And many here on earth. But one day, thanks be unto God, there's going to be a grand reunion day. And the whole family in heaven and in earth is going to be together. What a glorious time that will be. All, all, uh, all of our grievances and issues and any, any things that have hindered our fellowship will all be forgotten. We'll be in perfect fellowship with the Father and with one another. The whole family will be gathered together. What a glorious day that is going to be. But I just want to say to you that I'm thankful to be a part of the family of God. As we look at this family this morning, I, I want you to know three things about it. And I pray that God will speak to you because there may be some people here this morning who aren't in the family. And we desperately desire that today would be the day that you would enter into the family. Not only do we desire it, but God himself desires it. And so I want you to know some things about this family, the whole family in heaven and earth. First of all, I want you to see this is a family that was ruined by sin. A family that was ruined by sin. As I said, God has always had a people, he's always had a place for those people, and he's always had a plan for those people. And God began his plan on earth with Adam and Eve. He created them, made them, formed them, placed them in the garden. They were in perfect fellowship with him, perfect harmony with him. They were not sinners. They did not sin until we come to Genesis chapter 3. They were in perfect fellowship with him. 
they had perfect bodies that would live throughout all eternity. This is the way in which God made them. But this family was ruined by sin. I want you to go back to the first book of the Bible with me, would you please, to Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter number 3. And we see how this family, this, this perfect family, this harmonious family that God made was ruined by sin. I want you to look in verse number 1 of Genesis chapter number 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The first thing that happened to ruin this family is that they were deceived by Satan. They were deceived by Satan. He went to Eve and he says to her in verse number one, Yea, hath God said. What is he doing? He's trying to sow the seeds of doubt in her mind. Did God really say what you think he said? Not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look in verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. There's only one tree that we cannot eat from. All of the other trees and all of the other fruits, we can enjoy all of those. God has given them to us. We can have as much as we would like. There's only one, there's only one that we cannot eat. And of course, that's the one that the devil wants to call her attention to. So he sows the seeds of doubt. Then in verse number four, he sows the seed of denial. Look in verse four. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Oh, that's wrong. You've been misinformed. God's word is not true. God's word is not accurate. By the way, he's using these same tactics to ruin families today. Doubt and denial. The Bible's not the Word of God. It's an ancient book. You cannot trust the Bible. Trust the science. Then he sows the seed of distrust in verse 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. God knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll be like him. What is he saying? He's saying this, God has been holding you back. God has been holding out on you. God doesn't want you to be equal to him. You've been missing out on something. And so now he's causing her to distrust the very character of God. He deceives her. And then she is defiled. Notice in verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Eve took of the fruit. She was deceived by the devil. That doubt, that denial, that distrust had produced something in her heart. She began to look at that fruit. 
It looked like it was good fruit, tasty fruit. It was not wilted. It wasn't, it wasn't rotten, at least to the eyes. And it was desired to make one wise. In other words, it would equate her or make her, in, in, according to Satan's lie, equal with God. The Bible calls that in 1 John 2, verse 16, the lust of the flesh. Good for food. The lust of the eyes. Pleasant to the eyes, the Bible says. And, is, and, the, and the pride of life. And the Bible says that this fruit, when she looked on it, was desired to make one wise. The pride of life. You know what pride does? Pride seeks to remove God from his rightful place as the sovereign over our lives. Pride says, it's my life, it's my body, it's my money, I can do what I want, and nobody can tell me what to do. That's pride. And that's what was born in Eve that day. Pride is the desire for accomplishment, recognition, status, position, power, and the praise of men. Pride insists that I'm right and you're wrong. Pride is an unwillingness to humble myself. You see, Eve took of the fruit and immediately she was defiled. Her eyes were open. Adam ate the fruit. Their eyes were open. They knew that they were naked. They were deceived by Satan. They were defiled by sin. And then lastly, we see here, as we consider this thought, they were divided by sinners. Adam and Eve became sinners. Do you know up until that point, Adam and Eve had never had a crossword? Never had an argument? They'd never had a bad day? They were in perfect fellowship and in perfect harmony with their God and with one another. And by the way, when our relationship with God is right, our relationship with others will be right. If you want to fix your marriage, don't try to fix your spouse. You get right with God. And when you're right with God, you'll get right with your spouse. It's a family divided. You, you see, sin divides. Sin destroys. Look in verse 8, Genesis 3. And when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Now, here are two people who just sinned. And immediately their eyes were opened. They knew that they were naked. Something changed in them. Their innocency was gone. And they hear God coming. They had walked with him many days before. They had spent much time with him in perfect harmony and fellowship. But now they've got a problem. They've sinned against God. And what do they do with their problem? They run from God. That describes our world, doesn't it? People running from God. People in sin and shame running away from God, not running to God. So they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord in verse 8. Verse 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? God knew exactly where Adam was. He's bringing Adam to a point of confession to tell him not where he is geographically, but where he is spiritually. And Adam responded in verse 10, 
He said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. Now he's afraid of God. That's never happened before. He's hiding from God. He said, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I want you to understand that sin ruins relationships. Sin ruins relationships. I'm speaking to people in this moment who have relationships that have been destroyed by sin. God bless them. Their relationship with the Father was ruined. They ran from him. They hid from him. They were afraid of him. Their relationship with the family was ruined. Adam and Eve were at odds with one another. Look at verse 11. And he said, Who told thee, this is God, who told thee, Adam, that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest me. Adam said, It's not my fault. It's hers. You know, we're all really, really skilled at that game, aren't we? When confronted with our sin, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. It's in that garden, that was the scene, right? Everybody's pointing fingers in every direction except here. No one is willing to accept the blame. No one is willing to deal with their sin and their sinfulness. Every problem is somebody else's fault. That is because we're sinners and we do not want to receive responsibility for our sin. That's why we're hiding. The man said, the woman whom thou gavest me to be with me. Not only is it the woman's fault, but God, it's your fault. You're the one who gave her to me. You know, I've met a lot of people who are mad at God. They blame God. It's God's fault. Why did he put that tree in the middle of the garden? Why did he let that servant talk to me? They blame God. Why did he give me this person? Why did this happen to me? And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Eve said, The devil made me do it. And so we see a dreadful picture. We see the picture of a family that moments before was in perfect harmony with God and one another, now ruined with sin. God said, In the day you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. And they did. Immediately, the Spirit of God that had given life to them departed from them. And though they had physical life, they became dying human beings without spiritual life and without God, shattered, ruined by sin. That's this family, a family ruined by sin. But then secondly, we see that this is a family redeemed by the Son. It's a family redeemed. You see, sin's problem requires a solution. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to provide the solution, the payment for our sin, to purchase us from the slave market of sin and death, and deliver us into the kingdom of the Father. 
Look, if you would, please, in verse 14 of chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and, notice these next two words, her seed. It shall bruise thy head, the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent, and thou, the serpent, will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. What does this verse speak of? It speaks of the coming of Jesus Christ. The seed of the woman, born of a woman, Mary, the virgin, conceived, a child, not produced by a man, but supernaturally produced by the Holy Ghost. Therefore, he is called the seed of the woman. And this seed of the woman was born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. But before that, throughout all eternity, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who spoke the universe into existence, who is equal to the Father and eternal with the Father, said to the Father, I will go and provide the solution for the problem of the sin of this ruined family. I will go and pay redemption's price for the family. I've got good news for you and your family today. Jesus Christ is the answer. In Gethsemane, he submitted himself to drink the cup of our sin. The Bible says that God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, so that we who were sinners might be made the righteousness of God in him. On Calvary, he paid redemption's price. And in John chapter 19 and verse 30, Jesus therefore received the vinegar. He said, it is finished, meaning this, that the payment for your sin and mine was made. The transaction is over. Everything that is required for your justification, for the forgiveness of your sin, all of that has been accomplished by Christ on the cross of Calvary. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers. But you are redeemed, he says, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, died on the cross to redeem this ruined family. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 that he is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, his blood was the payment that was needed. He appeased the wrath of God through his sacrifice, the wrath of God on sin. You see, Adam and Eve hid themselves. Why? Because they'd rebelled against God. They'd sinned against him. And the Bible teaches us that God is angry with the wicked every day. But that anger was poured out on the person of Jesus Christ. He bore my sin. He bore the wrath of my judgment. He made the perfect uh, complete payment for my salvation and for yours. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 and verse 11 that God the Father shall see the travail of his, the Son's, soul and shall be satisfied. 
God is satisfied with the sacrifice of the Son. Therefore, there is a covering for Adam's nakedness. You remember Adam and Eve, they immediately knew that they were naked, clothed in innocency before, now exposed as sinners. They, they go into the garden and they begin to pull leaves from the trees and the vines and they try to, to, to sew them together to somehow cover their nakedness. That is what men have been trying to do for 6,000 years of human history. They've been trying to cover their nakedness. But there's only one covering, that's through the sacrifice of the Son of God. And Jesus was the covering for their nakedness. He was the ram caught in the thicket who died in Isaac's stead. He's the Passover lamb that was slain to redeem the firstborn of Israel. He is, as John said, the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Paul spoke of that whole family in heaven and in earth. This was a family that was ruined by sin. This was a family, however, that was redeemed by the Son. And thanks be unto God, we see a family that is reconciled to the Father. A family that is reconciled to the Father. Go back with me, please, to Genesis chapter 3. And verse number 14, the Bible says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You see, Satan thought that he had disrupted the family plan of God. Satan thought that he had destroyed the family of God. And the family of God, no doubt in Genesis chapter 3, was ruined. But Jesus stepped in and said, I'll make the payment for their sin. I will redeem the family back to God. And those who will believe on the Son, those who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, can be reconciled back to the Father. We can commune with Him once again. We can fellowship with Him once again in harmony, and we can be in fellowship one with another. All of God's plans for the family have not been foiled by Satan. God has reconciled this big family together. What a glorious thing to see that a divided family has been reconciled. Just turn back, if you would, to Ephesians 2 and verse number 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11. Now, Paul is speaking to the family at Ephesus, who is a part of the larger family, the whole family in heaven and earth, just like the family at Tabernacle is a part of the larger family, the whole family in heaven and earth. And he wants to remind this church at Ephesus how they got into the family. Look, if you would, please, in verse 11. Wherefore, would you say the next word with me? Remember. You know, it's good to remember. We are so prone to forget. But we need to remember. We need to remember where God found us. And we need to remember how good God has been to us. The Bible says in verse 11, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. They were Gentiles, meaning they were not Jews. So nationally, they're separated from the Jewish race who are called uncircumcision by that which is called 
the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. They had not followed the ritual rites of the law. Verse 12, that at that time ye were without Christ. This is the big problem. They were without Christ. Notice the next phrases, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise. Notice this, please. A family with no hope and without God in the world. That was our condition. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We were strangers. We were aliens. We were not part of the family of God. But now, because of the blood of Christ that was shed for the price of our redemption, we are now made nigh. That separation that took place in the garden has been removed, and we've been restored back into the family of God. Look, if you would, in verse 18 of Ephesians 2. For through him, that's through Christ, we both, that means Jews and Gentiles, have access by one spirit unto the Father. You see, God is an international God. He's the God of all people. He's offered salvation to all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's family is not separated by borders or by colors of their skin. God's family is unified by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. For through him we both have access, verse 18, by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of, notice this, please, the household of God. You're a part of the family and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Paul uses a picture here to help us understand. He uses the picture of a building, a temple, a building that has a foundation. What is our foundation? Our foundation is the Word of God. Our faith upon the Word, our identification with Christ, our relationship to Him. He is the chief cornerstone. And together we, as individual stones, have been chosen by God, and we've been placed together to form a building, a temple. And in that temple, God dwells. You see, God dwells with his family. What a glorious thing. We are now reconciled to the Father. We can meet with the Father. And every time the church meets together, God is present. Christ is near. You see, I wouldn't want to miss a church service because I don't want to miss an opportunity to be with Jesus. You say, well, now, wait a minute. If I'm a Christian, isn't Jesus with me all the time? Yes, he is. He certainly is. But God is with his family in a way that is special and unique. It is a way that it is such a special meaning. We cannot afford to miss it. It's a family that's reconciled to the Father. In this family, death has given way to life because we live eternally in Jesus. 
time has been exchanged for eternity. Offenses, trespasses, fade in God's forgiveness. Guilt and shame are exchanged for loving favor. Poverty has been exchanged for spiritual riches. In verse 16, notice what he says of Ephesians 3, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. What does he enumerate for us in these verses? That, that we have all the rights and privileges of sonship, that we can be filled with his power, that we can be filled with his presence, that we can be filled with his love, and that we can be filled with his fullness. What a glorious thing it is to belong to the family of God. Are you in that family? The Bible says in the gospel according to John in chapter 1 and verse 12, but as many as received him, as many as received him, Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Let's go back to the garden. Adam and Eve is there. God the Father comes. They know they're naked. They know they've sinned against God. They run and hide. They're pointing fingers at each other. Eventually, they're cast out of that garden. They have two boys and other children. And one day, they stand at the graveside of one who was murdered by his brother. And I imagine they thought, I never knew it would cost this much. I never knew it would cost this much. And maybe into that scene, we see Jesus coming some 4,000 years later to be born of a virgin, to take on our sin, to die in our place, and to offer salvation to us. To restore unto us all that was lost. And to give us a place once again in the family of God. Will you receive him as he comes to you? Or will you reject him? But as many as received him, the one who loved you, the one who died for you, the one who desires to save you. But as many as received him, will you receive him? Don't reject him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Will you believe on the name of Jesus? You see, the Bible says the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I got a new name. I'm no longer the son of Adam. I'm the son of Jesus, the son of the Father. I got a new name. The whole family in heaven and earth is named. In Adam all die, but in Christ shall all be made alive. I'm a part of that family. What a glorious family it is. Richard Dion was a pastor in Great Falls, Montana. I had the privilege of hearing him preach some years ago. 
He pastored that church in Great Falls, Montana for 46 years. But Richard Dion was not born Richard Dion. He was born to a man named Griffin. I don't know all the details, but Richard grew up absent of his father. Eventually, his mother met and married a man named Gordon Dion. They fell in love. They were married. And Mr. Gordon Dion expressed his desire to adopt Richard. Richard summed up a story as follows. He said, I went to the courthouse that day as a griffin. But I left that courthouse that day a Dion. You see, all of us are guilty. All of us were sinners. All of us the children of the devil by nature, the children of wrath. But Jesus Christ came to make us the children of God. He went to court for us. He bore our sin, made the payment. And if you'll simply appear with him and trust him, you'll have a new name. And you'll be a part of the whole family in heaven and in earth. I'm glad to be a part of this family. A precious family it is. I'm glad to be a part of it on earth with you. There's no group of people I'd rather be with than this group. We get to serve God together. We need to thank God for each other. Never take for granted what God has done for us. We need to love one another. We need to serve God in this community together for His glory. But I'm grateful for that family in heaven. Aren't you? I was thinking about it. It'll soon be 15 years that I've been here as your pastor. And I remember my many, many conversations with Ronnie Shook, people like Dean Powell. I could list them name after name. Glorious people that I've had the privilege of knowing in my 15 years, and they're in heaven. My dad's one of them. It's the whole family. Some in heaven, some in earth. I told you this story. I went to the golf course one day. A nice day. And I got out of my car. And just the wind and, and the, the, the slight breeze and the temperature and just you know, the smell of the grass that had been cut. And I thought, what a great day. My dad would love to be at a golf course like this today. And I, I know he would have, but he wouldn't have traded it for heaven. And I thought, well, I'd like to play around. Neither one of us were any good. We stayed frustrated most of the time we were out there. But I thought, I'd love to have just, just one more opportunity like that. And you, you've heard me share this before, but God, by His Spirit, said to me, 
Oh, you got so many more days ahead of you with your dad than you've ever had behind you. I can't tell you how I was strengthened in that moment. It's a precious family. And we're going to spend eternity together. We're named after his name. And we're going to sing his praise. He is worthy. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.